0: Reach out to me at, stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at UpNext in Commerce.
1: Always assume a three percent conversion rate with anything, even your friends and family. If you have a thousand people that you think you can count on, you're talking about thirty people that are actually going to pull the trigger and give you the credit card information when you end up buying. You don't want to rely on the friends and family model for crowdfunding; it's just not a good way to do it. What you want to rely on is an email list.
2: They say that laughter is the best medicine. For Colin McIntosh, it's also been a pretty good business strategy. After a couple of fits and starts in business, Colin found himself with no job, but quite a few domain names in his possession, all of which were pun based. So he cycled through what he owned and formed a plan to build a company in a disruptable industry, where he could make a splash and earn some market share. What he landed on was Sheets and Giggles, a direct to consumer bedsheets company with a social good component that became the most successful bedsheets company to launch on the crowdfunding site indiegogo since then sheets and giggles has grown to millions of dollars in sales and on this episode of up next in commerce colin gives the behind the scenes story of building sheets and giggles including how he worked backward to build an email list that led to an unprecedented 45 percent conversion rate plus Colin dives into the pros and cons of selling on Amazon and gives an exclusive preview of some of the ad copy he's working on to bring more humor to the Sheets and Giggles campaigns across channels. Enjoy this episode.
0: Up next in commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey listeners, it's Stephanie. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash commerce. All right, on to the show. Hey, everyone, this is Stephanie Postles, co-founder of Mission.org and your host of Up Next in Commerce. Welcome back. Our guest today is Colin McIntosh, the founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles. Colin, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me today.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I was very nervous about messing that name up. I'm sure you get that (laughs) a lot.
1: Uh, Macintosh, Macintosh, yeah. The, oh, I the meant your company is... name. Oh, Sheets and Giggles, yeah. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I feel like I've gotten so used to it now, I don't even register it anymore. Um, but yeah, you can call it S and G for short. So that way you're not laughing every time.
0: There you go. I like it. So before the show started, we are going a little bit through your background, which I think people would like to hear before we get into Sheets and Giggles. So I'd love for you to kind of start there. Of you know, how did you come to founding Sheets and Giggles? What came before that?
1: Uh, well, a lot came before. It depends on how far back you want to go. I, I uh, graduated from Emory University's uh, business school back in 2012. And I started my career at the world's largest hedge fund in Connecticut, a place called Bridgewater Associates.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, the guy, the founder there, a guy named Ray Dalio, is pretty famous nowadays. Yes. I got fired in about five months, uh, which was great being 22 and losing your first job uh, in a strange state that you don't know anybody in. Oh, no. Uh, and what then, happened? Well, well, I was terrible at my job. So, Five you know, months that was, is not uh, <laughs> enough time.
0: How did they even know?
1: <laughs> no, I, Bridgewater is usually, uh, they're famous for like two months or two years. Uh, okay. And so I, I kind of had a weird little in-between stay where like after two months, we were all pretty sure it wasn't going to work out. But like, they were like, ah, this should work out. And they didn't want to really pull the plug. And then eventually I remember they were arguing in front of me one day about, uh, I'll never forget this. They were like, re-interviewing me for a different role inside of the company. And that's how they do it, right? You lose your box, quote unquote, and then they try to find you a new box before they totally get rid of you um, because they think you're like a culture fit, right? Yep. They were arguing in front of me. I never forget these two guys, the two managers. They were, one said, you know, I think Colin is a six for this role. And the other manager says, well, I think he's more like a seven and I think we should hire him into it. And they're arguing six, seven, six, seven out of 10. And then the arbiter goes, look, guys, he can't get hired into the role if he's not a seven. If he's a six, we can't make you give him the offer. Okay. And then they agree, okay, he's a six and a half, and we'll need to have another meeting on it. And I, and I remember I raised my hand and I go, guys, let me do this. Today's gonna be my last day at Bridgewater. And I was
0: like, yeah. hey,
1: I just couldn't deal with that type of like...
0: Yeah, rating you. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, yeah.
1: And so that was uh, my first job experience. And from there, I became a recruiter uh third-party agency, recruiting for banks and hedge funds and startups. Um, that's where I got into technology and startups and software. Uh, taught myself a lot about uh, software development and uh, software engineering and ended up hiring a bunch of different engineers at a bunch of different companies. And I ended up hiring myself at one of my clients in Seattle in a really interesting B2B software space called Application Virtualization, uh, which mm-hmm. is really hot in 2014, still pretty hot. And I ended up moving out to Seattle Uh, And then about a year and a half later, I got an opportunity at a company that I helped co-found with some friends uh, called Revelar, which was a wearable tech product that got into Techstars, which is, for those listening, a really famous worldwide accelerator for startups. They give you $100,000 for 6% of your company and put you in a room with 9 other companies for 3 months and give you all the training, resources, connections, and mentorship that you could possibly need And so I dropped everything I was doing in Seattle, drove 19 hours down to Denver on a week's notice, and uh, became a Coloradan about five years ago. And that company ended up working there for about two and a half years. We all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Sunday, as startups unfortunately go. And it was really sad. We had raised millions of dollars and were in Target and Brookstone and HSN, QVC deals, T-Mobile stores. But that product unfortunately didn't have all the legs that we thought it did. And three weeks after I got laid off, I incorporated Sheets and Giggles. And now it's been three years since that date. And it is now the longest I've ever worked anywhere in my career.
0: (laughs) That's great. So so what is Sheets and Giggles? And how did you have the idea to start it?
1: Well, for anyone who hasn't heard of us, it's okay. Although I will hold it against you. Um, (laughs) Very rude. uh, (laughs) Very rude. Uh, we sell bed sheets that are sustainable and they're made out of a material called lyle cell, which is made from eucalyptus trees. And so if you you know Google or Amazon eucalyptus sheets were generally the first result, um, lyle cell sheets is another query we rank high for. Um, and what our sheets do is they actually save up to 96% of the water that cotton sheets do uh, use, which is about a thousand gallon reduction And then they also save energy, they use no pesticides, no insecticides, whereas cotton can use 16 to 24% of the world's insecticides just by itself as a crop. They also biodegrade faster than cotton, they're hypoallergenic, they're zero static, and they're naturally softer and more cooling. So if you're a hot sleeper, they're the best possible material, the eucalyptus lyocell is for hot sleepers. And so it's a really wonderful product. Uh, We began manufacturing it about two and a half years ago. And we now have shipped 10s of 1000s of orders. We have raised a couple million dollars in capital, although uh, we are mostly revenue funded, and we grow according to our revenue. And we are just loving life right now. We're a very socially conscious company. And it's really wonderful to be able to have fun, do good and, and make money at the same
0: time. That's great. So with your company, did you see an opportunity in the market? from doing research or did you just wake up one night sweaty? Like, Oh, <laughs> I need to build better sheets. This is uh, not right. <laughs> like how did a that? Great question.
1: Happen? <laughs> so, so whenever I hear founder interviews from like Brooklyn Inn or like other, uh, you know, bed sheets companies, and I, and I hate to throw Brooklyn under the bus. They're a great company. Sorry, and I that. really respect, <laughs> no, I re, I really respect what they've built. They've, you know, they get like a hundred million dollars in trailing 12 months revenue. Like they're a yeah, wonderful, company. Right. But they're, fa- <laughs> they're co-founders However, go on these, these podcasts. And they're like, Oh, we were staying in these hotel sheets, and we were like, "Oh, they're so lovely!" And then we found out how expensive they were, and we were like, "There had to be a better way." <laughs> Nobody starts a company because they stayed at a hotel. Like they, like they saw a really good business model. They found a manufacturer who would make really good, uh, you know, products for them at, a, at an affordable price, so they could resell at a higher price, and they went from there. And that's great, and they should be proud of that. And so that's sort of uh, more or less what happened with S and G, where it was actually a business model play first. And I'm a big. Like a big big advocate of sustainability and climate change is one of my hot buttons. I've always had a bleeding heart. i've I've worked at startups trying to end animal euthanasia. i my last startup, the wearable tech startup, I talked about. we were trying to fight sexual assault and violence. We actually sent out sixty thousand emergency alerts saved a bunch of lives, which is really a wonderful, wonderful thing that uh, that the company did. But you know this company, I really wanted to have a sustainability mission. And so I kind of sat down and I wrote out my perfect business model uh, with a sustainability mission this is a true story. I looked at all the domains that I owned and I own sheets, giggles.com. Cause I thought it'd be a funny name for a bedsheets company. I have a lot of pun based domains that I own. <laughs> What's some other
0: uh, ones I want to hear. <laughs> Any others come to mind?
1: <laughs> uh, I've got uh, a few really good ones, bodcast.com, B O D C A S T S.com. I love that. I would love to oh, do God. like, um, podcasts for exercise where you don't have to watch YouTube videos. Uh, and you yep. can just like have a platform for uh, exercise physiologists and personal trainers to like, do listening-only routines. I also own uh, SunglassesHalfFull.com for a sunglass company, GiraffeCraft.com for crafts in the shape of giraffes. Uh, <laughs> I own uh, WorkFromRome.com, why work from home when you can work from Rome. That's a uh, travel uh, company for remote work. I, I buy a lot of domains. So many down, right companies there. to start. Yeah. So little time. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, Hem- Roman Hemperer is probably my favorite one that I'll probably start one day CBD company. Um, and my nephew's Good. name is Roman. So he'll be my, my little CBD Perfect. mascot. Um, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm sure my sister will love that. Yeah, um, I think she will. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So to answer your question, a lot of them. And, uh, and so I owned SheetsGiggles.com. I thought does betting fit my criteria and it fit perfectly. $12 billion U S market growing 10% year over year Highly fragmented. The top five players only own about twenty seven percent of the market, um, and it wasn't fully online at that point. It was still mostly physical retail, and so I kind of just put my head down and I fell in love with this brand. And that, that was the other thing: is I just fell in love with the idea of a funny brand in a very boring space. Especially if it's a sustainable premium product, and you can still do a funny brand. That's a really hard tightrope to walk, and I really fell in love with like the branding challenge. And that was kind of when I put my head down in October, 2017, I I created a brand identity map for this pun-based betting empire is what I would call it to people. And, you know, me and a couple contractors just designed uh, a logo and I built my own website, wrote every single word of copy myself, would stay up till four in the morning writing, wake up at 8am, start writing again. And just totally fell in love with this weird little company that I was creating in my bed in my underwear. And in May 2018, we did our crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, raised $284,000 crowdfunded. Love those crowdfunders and have a very special relationship with thousands of people who brought the company to life. And it's all been history since there.
0: That's really fun. How did you... like, What was your experience on indiegogo how did you get found because a lot a lot of times on those crowdfunding platforms it seems like there's so much noise nowadays like in the early days it's probably yeah. easy to get found now it's like oh my gosh if i put something up there there's like thousands of other people trying to raise money for something like how did you make sure that people found your potential product
1: yeah, absolutely. And even in 2018, it was still uh, a pretty uh, difficult task, right? There were still thousands of projects being launched every every single day. 2013, 2014 would have been prime time to do a crowdfunding campaign. That was actually one fun fact. I'm going to brag a little bit. Brooklinen did their Kickstarter in 2013 or 2014, and they did $236,000. We did ours in 2018, $284,000. So, hey. so, um, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so basically, there's a few hacks right for crowdfunding campaigns. So if any, anyone out there thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign, generally speaking, you want to do a few things. First and foremost, you want to set a goal that you can hit on day one because their algorithms reward percentage of goals hit in a, in a period of time. They don't reward dollars raised. You don't wanna go too low because then you've set expectations for people that like, wow, you've blown away your goal and now I expect the world from this company. But you don't wanna go too high either and have a goal that takes you the full 30 days to hit because then you won't trend. So for us, for example, internally, we wanted to do $100,000. Externally, we set our goal as $50,000. And we thought that we could hit that in a couple days uh, based on our preparation. So the second thing you wanna do in order to come out of the noise is prepare. So a lot of people, it's kind of sad. I see them launch a crowdfunding idea for something that maybe is a really cool idea or cool project, but they don't do any preparation whatsoever. And they don't stop to think that even if they have a thousand Facebook friends and 30 friends and family and, you know, uh, 500 connections on LinkedIn and whatever it is, you just got to always assume a 3% conversion rate with anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so even your friends and family. And so If you have a thousand people that you think you can count on, you're talking about 30 people that are actually going to pull the trigger and give you the credit card information when you end up buying. So you don't want to rely on the friends and family model for crowdfunding. It's just not a good way to do it. What you want to rely on is an email list. Mm -hmm. And I get asked all the time, where do you find your email list? Do you buy it? What do you, you build it? And the answer is you build it. You want to build it and get people to give you their emails who are interested, qualified leads, who are interested in buying into the brand that you're building. And so what we did was we worked backwards from our goal of $100,000. We said, okay, $100,000 in 30 days. Generally speaking with the crowdfunding math, you want to make 30% of that on day one. That's just the way the crowdfunding works. Big boost in the beginning, plateau in the middle, boost at the end. And so you want $30,000 on day one. We knew our sheets were going to cost $70 on average, which is a really low price. I really underpriced them. And, uh, and we knew our average order was probably going to be 1.5 units. So $100 average order value. And if $30,000 on day one at $100 average order value is the goal, that means we need 300 customers on day one. If an email list converts at 3%, then that means that we need 10,000 emails in order to get 300 customers on day one. And that became our singular focus, singular goal from February through April of 2018 was gathering those 10,000 emails, doing it at an affordable price that would end up translating into a low cost of acquisition. And we ended up spending about $9,000 to gather about eleven thousand emails converted at about a 45% rate, which is was really unheard of. That was the first time I was really ever high. very, very... Yeah, I was very, very excited and, and confident that the crowdfunding campaign was going to go well when we saw the 45% email capture rate. And we ended up converting at 4.5% on our email list on day one. And we had a $45,000 day one, just like clockwork.
0: That's awesome. I like the idea of working backwards. I think enough people don't think of like, what do I want my end result to be? And how do I make sure to get there? And like you said, they rely on, oh, I have enough friends who will buy, which I've also experienced it does not work. Friends and family can only go so far. Yeah, yeah but- people you'll
1: forget people get busy. They have busy mornings. They forget like you need like a big boost all at once to come out of the noise on crowdfunding. And so we ended up being the number two trending topic on, on Indiegogo.
0: That's, that's awesome. So how did you go about building your email list? Because acquiring emails for the price that you did is very good. Conversions are very good. I mean, you can get a ton of emails these days, but a lot of them probably wouldn't be qualified if you don't do it the right way. So what kind of tactics did you use to get good emails who are qualified buyers to make sure that they actually ended up converting when you launched?
1: So that's a great question. Uh, First and foremost, if you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, I would recommend hiring a digital agency that specializes in crowdfunding. But I would be very careful about whom because there's a ton of sharks and predators in this industry who will take you know, your $2,000 setup fee and they'll promise you the moon, right? There is one agency I recommend my buddy, Will Russell. He's the man, Russell marketing in New York. And, uh, I trust him with my life. So I hired Will. I had known him tangentially through the last place I worked at. And, uh, he basically flew out the boulder. We sat down, we like boarded things out in February, 2018 about, you know, our plan for the crowdfunding campaign. And, Basically, the, the method was he had these emails from past campaigns that were early adopters, right? There are people who had backed Kickstarter campaigns before, and you can get lists like that in other places. Mm-hmm. Then you be- begin to build 1%, 2 and 3% lookalike audiences on Facebook. Um, from those lists, uh, you're able to advertise to other people who are likely early adopters. You build a landing page. We use Kickoff Labs as the software for our landing pages that hooked into our Google Analytics. We did a photo shoot all in for $500 with me and all my best friends in Denver, Colorado. We were smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, having fun in bed, playing with dogs, eating pizza. Basically, whatever makes us laugh is what we put on camera. And so that was what we did in February 2018. We built those landing pages and that content with our first photo shoots. Um, And all the copy we wrote was just coming from my two fingers or ten. And then, uh, we just basically asked people, Hey, do you want to lock into the best price you're ever going to get on the best bed sheets you're ever going to feel? And we had three core value propositions for any crowdfunding campaign. You generally need three core differentiation propositions. One was that it's literally softer and cooler than cotton. And I led with that because I think that people are selfish and won't buy a sustainable product. If it's not better than the unsustainable version value prop number two was that it was sustainable and value prop number three was that because I knew how all these retailers worked. And I know the margin share that Bed Bath & Beyond takes from this category, which is about 40%. The price that you're paying is going to be dramatically lower than the price you pay for comparable luxury, sustainable options in-store. And those were our three value props. And it really resonated.
0: That's great. So what does your customer acquisition strategy look like now that's different than maybe what you did with Indiegogo?
1: Now? I mean, now I have an in-house Marketing team, uh, four person team, they're they're absolutely wonderful. Uh, Sarah, our VP of marketing, is a total genius. And she is someone who, on the performance marketing side, I think is unmatched. And I basically give her, I'll be completely honest, I give her free reign at this stage because a, fou- a founder skill set is fundamentally different than a CEO skill set. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my best to transition from founder to CEO. And part of that is not micromanaging and frankly being okay with a much more boring job of facilitating, supporting, financing, and managing yep. versus being the being the creative, being the brand voice, being the copywriter, being the photographer and the videographer and the Facebook uh, data analyzer and the Amazon ad <laughs> uh, creator. Like I, I can't do that anymore because it just doesn't scale. And it's also a good way to get talented people to leave when they feel like they're being micromanaged. So in terms of our actual, actual strategies, uh, I basically, it's all direct to consumer on our website, sheetsgiggles.com uh, and Amazon. And we've got core channels of Facebook, Instagram, Google, and Amazon as our digital spend. We do some podcast advertising, so definitely get in touch about that. Um, and we also do radio advertising on Colorado Public Radio and a few other stations. And then we've tried direct mail. We've tried a few other funky things. Nothing has the ROAS that digital tends to have. In terms of email strategy nowadays, we actually don't email people nearly that, as often as we used to. Mm-hmm. In the very beginning, when we launched Indiegogo, we'd email people maybe once a week. Now we're probably emailing people once a quarter, which is really crazy for a direct-to-consumer brand. Like I, every, every direct-to-consumer brand in my inbox blows up my inbox. And you know, the amount of sandal emails that I get from like, my sandal company is ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we email people only when we want them to take a very specific action. Um, And that leads to open rates of, you know, high 40s on emails, which is really, really stellar for, for open rates on emails. And we make sure that we use that wisely and we don't uh, inundate people.
0: That's great. So what are your favorite channels right now? Like of everything that you just mentioned, is there any channel that you're maybe putting more budget into or that you're seeing higher success with?
1: If I can find a ROAS that beats Facebook, I will pull all my Facebook spend tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. but they're definitely the highest throw ads. Uh, branded search is obviously the thing that's going to be best in the long run. So we spend a lot of time building up our brand recognition um, with people and our brand affinity, just earned earn media is really good too. We have a PR agency that we employ and we got, we got covered yesterday by the daily beast and um, we've been covered by real simple and Forbes and apartment therapy. We're apartment therapy's best of 2020 picks and uh, a lot of other publications we've been on today.com and Amazon gives us a lot of shout outs because of the philanthropy that we do. And so that's been really helpful to have Amazon as like a, a big partner in, in our PR and in our discovery and exposure. Um, so overall, yeah, I'm, I'm just really, I, I would say Facebook and Earn media are probably the two biggest ones. And then I do love radio and podcast advertising. And I'm trying to figure out how to make that funnier for the listener. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm currently recording a few new podcast ads that I think are going to be really funny. And not like in a really bad Geico, not funny at all way, but like actual bits on the radio.
0: Oh, give me a bit. What are you working with? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you I can practice skate. it here? There's no judgment.
1: Okay, great. 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 So, <laughs> I, so I've got one that I think is pretty funny in like a kind of a meta sort of way where i want to go on a podcast and be like hi you know i'm like you know it's like ever heard the ceo of harry's do his thing like i'm not famous yeah. but i'm the ceo of harry's so yeah. like hi like i'm i'm calling ceo of sheets and giggles that um probably means nothing to you which is kind of depressing a little sad we're we're a young company we're based in denver we um you know we do do some good stuff oh we sell bed sheets i should probably should probably with that um god how does the harry ceo do this um and, and and basically like go that and, and then like somebody yep. in the background goes ten seconds ten seconds and I'm like we uh, we sell uh you bed sheets um they're sustainable they're soft on the cotton go buy them at sheetstables.com and like that's <laughs> the end of the end of that and then, that's like, actually
0: catchy I like that because then people are like what is this dude gonna say and did not know he was recording
1: <laughs> and then I want to record like four or five versions of that that run yep. on different different roles and like and basically it moves from like okay you know like they gave me a second take. I got it this time. I'm Colin, CEO of Sheets and Giggles. Again, we sell bad sheets. I feel like that's obvious. Uh, maybe not that obvious. I don't know. Like if it was just called like Sheets without the giggles, it'd be a little more obvious. And somebody's like 10 seconds. I'm like, oh my God. Like, and then like get back into it again. And, and so I think that like those little like bits and like the non sequiturs and stuff is like very much our comedy and, and the trailing off and the tangents. And so I really want to write a few different bits like that that really flow with one another.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty great. I can't wait to hear those on radio or other podcast ads. Do you ever feel like selling through humor like that could hold you back in a way? Because sometimes I see some brands where like that's so much their angle that it kind of gets away from, you know, the product because they get so funny where you're like, wait, what are you actually selling again? <laughs> so like, how do you guys balance that to make sure you're still, you know, selling, but in an in innovative new way that's setting you apart from others?
1: Yeah, it's actually a stellar question. I, I see that all the time when I see like an Instagram brand that's like just like pure, pure, pure funny without ever talking about their products in any way or ever talking about like their reviews or like the, you know, their sustainability. is just like buy us, buy our shorts because we're funny. It's like, dude, they're polyester yeah. shorts. I'm not going to buy your polyester shorts because you're funny. Yeah. But like the thing that we do, I think is that is not unique but I think as smart is we basically let our reviews do the talking for us so we always say like we're not serious but the sheets are and that's kind of our, our mantra is like we don't need to sell the sheets like our reviews sell the sheets our stats sell the sheets like we you know the amount of water we save the pesticides and insecticides we save we plant a tree for every order we've got 3,000 reviews on our website, 4.8 stars. And we don't hide our one star and two star reviews like a lot of other consumer brands do. Um, We have 845 reviews on Amazon as of this morning. I check every single day. I personally, as a CEO, read every single review that comes in. We have a Slack plugin that pulls every single review and puts it in front of my face every time we get one in live time. On Amazon, we're 4.5 stars. On Facebook, we're 4.7 with 116 reviews, I think. And so like that type of cross channel confidence in terms of review score is really important for the consumer. And then the sustainability, the planting of a tree for every order, we give you 10% off if you donate your old gold sheets to a homeless shelter. Um, we pledge 1% of our profits, time, products, and equity to local Colorado charities. We've donated $40,000 this year to Colorado COVID-19 emergency relief. Like the stuff that we do, I think really speaks for itself. And we don't have to, really broadcast it and advertise it even though i just obviously did instead we just kind of lead with the humor and then let people read more if they want and truth be told i think the most limiting thing and you kind of touched on this is that not everybody's a reader uh especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about americans no offense to you know i'm a red-blooded american but like we don't read uh (laughs) my old mentor at a, a toy company told me you know with the packaging that they made they their mantra is if you if you're asking people to read, you'll lose. And so that's probably the biggest limiter is that a lot of our a lot of our comedy is very copy heavy. A lot of other people are more visual or meme based or you know slapstick and video, and we're much more copy heavy and so I, I like to think about us as sort of like a the Seinfeld of, of betting brands, which is probably the first time that's been uttered uh, in the sentence.
0: Was that your uh, tech stars? <laughs> Like you know, YC type of thing of I am this kind or that.
1: Of, <laughs> kind of yeah. When we went to Techstars, I They were like, "Why? Why should we have a betting company in TechStars?" And my, I think I was just like, "Why not?" And they were like, uh, huh, "You are thought about it like that?" I was like, "You're in." Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Seinfeld of betting companies was uh was like kind of the way that I always thought about it is like it's a it's a brand about nothing, and by being a brand about nothing. It really is a wonderful way for us to be a brand about everything and that was the beauty of Seinfeld, which is my favorite TV show obviously is that every episode was about its own little subtopic and it didn't have to have this overarching theme or you know story arc and that's great with us is one day we can donate twelve thousand dollars to the World Wildlife Fund to save koalas. Um, another day we can donate, 40,000 to COVID-19 relief. Another day, we can donate thousands of dollars to Black Lives Matter organizations. Another day, we can plant 20,000 trees for last year's orders. Like, and, and we don't have this kind of like overarching thing that we push on people. Instead, they can just discover it if they want to keep reading. And then we just try to make the copy entertaining for them to find their way through our website.
0: Cool. Yeah, that, that's a good way to explain it. And yeah, it makes sense how you guys do it. So it is limiting
1: though. Yeah. It's not not it's you know, when you're building a brand, you want twenty percent of people to really viscerally resonate with it and eighty percent of people, you know, to either be meh or like react poorly to it. Yeah. And then that way you just don't want a difference. That's the biggest thing is I see so many direct to consumer brands that are like the next shiny thing, like, oh, like the best apparel you'll ever buy, or like the mm-hmm. best makeup, or the best like food, or like they're all the same exact brand and it bores me to tears. The white stuff on the white walls with the white curtains in the white room. Like, it's like, oh, yep. just kill me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. So how do you encourage reviews? So you were mentioning that you have a ton of reviews. Like, how do you get people to follow through and actually take the time to give you reviews?
1: Uh We, again, Brand About Nothing, we uh give to people who leave reviews free pizzas every week.
0: All right but
1: for like for like no reason <laughs> just yeah, just like, like it's just like why pizza i don't know pizza's good like you okay. like pizza. um is, that, so, uh, is it has it have anything to do with bedding pizza i mean people eat pizza in bed i guess i guess you know? yeah like, not so, on
0: my nice eucalyptus sheets so i'm not nah, going to No i too. mean
1: but you know they wash real easy so it's okay if you if you, you know spill any um no but it's it's re- that's how we incentivize it is like we we just say hey if you leave a review you know there's a chance that you'll get two free pizzas this week and You know, who doesn't like free pizza? Communist, that's who. Um and so (laughs) actually I think I actually we say capitalist, that's who. Um and so uh we uh you know, we do bits like that and like this stuff like that that like I think really drives people into the brand and we get people who are like, you know, like this is insulting, I'm a capitalist and I'm like, it's a bit, like it's just a a joke about like free pizza, you know, like Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, that's how we incentivize it mostly. And then again, really engaging copy the subject line is good. We have high open rates on our review request emails. We make it so you can leave the review directly in the email. Um, and we don't, yeah, we don't overpay for review software. Uh, I can't stand the stuff that's like thousands of dollars a month. Like there's really good, affordable
0: review software out there. Okay, cool. So how did you think about moving on to Amazon, because we've had a couple of DDC companies on here, quite a few, and it's been kind of mixed where, you know, some were very excited about Amazon, some were like, oh, I pulled it off because it kind of watered down the brand and they could end up just copying us and making a white label. And so there's been a lot of mixed thoughts around working with Amazon. So what led you to wanting to utilize their platform? Obviously, they're featuring you and helping you guys. Like, what are your thoughts um, around having a DDC company on Amazon?
1: So Amazon's been a real amazon is is Amazon. It's the best partner you'll ever have and the worst partner you'll ever have and exists simultaneously in the same platform. And you know so the that and that's why you you hear this sort of debate or dichotomy amongst founders where it's like, do you want to go on on Amazon? and the pros, right, are that fifty four percent of Americans, I think up to sixty percent of Americans now start a product search on Amazon. They've trained the American populace to when they're looking for a thing, go to Amazon.com. Google has lost that battle. And so it's a massive channel that you really, uh, it's hard to avoid. The, you know, so you have discoverability, you have uh, you know, channel, you can have channel dominance. Like if you rise to the top of search returns for a high volume query, you can just have break in cash with no marketing spend whatsoever for years until somebody tries to come beat you. It's a really seller platform. Uh, the negatives are, of course, that Amazon's extremely impersonal as a company. It's hard to get people on the phone there, although we do have account managers now. It is expensive. They take you know 25 to 30 percent margin share all in when you end up calculating all the fees from most companies, um, which is a really, really difficult thing for a lot of small businesses to swallow. And then you wind up paying them more to advertise on their platform to give them money when you make a sale. And so they're, they're a really good partner in a number of ways. They do a lot of really great things uh, for their companies, especially their small business partners. But you know, overall, it's a love-hate relationship for sure. Yep. And you know, you can do one thing wrong and get your whole listing pulled. (laughs) And and that can be really devastating too. So overall, for me, it's a no brainer because more than half of your audience is starting a product search on a specific channel. Uh, You have to be on that channel, period. Mm -hmm. End of story. Even if you're only doing it for branded searches.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So earlier, you're talking about working with PR firms and you know different efforts to bring new people, new customers your way. How do you guys have um, your backend set up to be able to handle fulfillments? Like, what does your tech stack look like to be able to handle any surges in demand?
1: Uh, so surges in demand are actually difficult because we, you know, for, forecasting forecasting demand is extremely difficult. Forecasting inventory becomes extremely difficult. And then you put those two things together and you have to forecast the amount of people that you have working on your warehouse team at any point in time, which is extremely difficult. And so when it comes to surges and spikes, we, we use a 3PL, third-party logistics provider, to ship out all of our orders, both on our website and on Amazon. We do FBM on Amazon instead of FBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are basically able to get probably 99% of orders shipped out within a 24-hour period. But when we do have have big surges and big backlogs, You can slip to 72 hours because we are paying for that 3PL service. They have a finite amount of people that they've forecasted to work on their, you know, thousand brand partners that you that share the warehouse space. And it's a really good way to like lower the cost overall fulfillment from like a small warehouse operation. If you're running it yourself because you're sharing that, that square footage with so many other brands and you're sharing the labor with so many other brands it's a pretty straightforward process nowadays in terms of hooking up a 3PL. In the beginning, for the first six months of the company, uh, October 2018 through March 2019, I was shipping out almost every box to myself along with a, a three-person team in Denver, Colorado. We had our own warehouse space. We had 1,000 square feet. We were packaging. We could do like maybe 250 orders a day maximum. And we were just trying to burn getting through holiday 2018 on our own. Uh, it was crazy. It was so, so, so hectic. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I shipped 3,000 boxes in like a three-week period at one point in time with my with the rest of my team, like working eight hours, 10 hours a day in the warehouse and, you know, buy everybody lunch every day. And it was great. Uh, I had my customer service team and they're working with me. It's definitely a lot easier when you can scale up and use a 3PL. I do know some companies that run their own warehouse space that actually wind up with all the headaches that it comes with and migraines that it comes with they do wind up having a lower cost per unit in terms of fulfillment than we do. So there's certainly something to be said for that. But I think that right now we're at the 3PL stage
0: for sure. Yep, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so we have not too long left. So I wanna jump into the lightning round because I think you're gonna have some good or funny answers. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud, our sponsors. They're amazing. This is where I'm gonna ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, okay. Colin? I am ready. All right. The first one, what is the biggest fail that comes to mind when starting a DTC company that you experienced?
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, I, we are for our packaging was white in the beginning. Um, you were the I white wanted, walls,
0: white sheets, white everything. Well, no, no, no,
1: no. no, no, no. The, 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 the inside of the packaging was purple and the outside okay. was white. Uh-huh. And we, and we, you anyway, know, our packaging is lovely. We've got knapsacks to wrap the sheets. We've got free eye masks in every box. Ooh, nice. Uh, it's lovely, but a white exterior box sent through any postal service <laughs> is going to get absolutely destroyed. And so that was our biggest fail was we had boxes just showing up, just beat the hell from FedEx and UPS. And, um, and so we moved in, I believe mid 2019 to purple exteriors. And that's allowed us to uh, be much more efficient with our shipping and, and have much better customer experience.
0: That's good. Yeah, I can imagine getting a white box, knowing that my bedding is inside of it, being like, "Oh, <laughs> <That's>
1: so, <fake. laughs> so dumb. So dumb. And, we, we, and and so to protect them, we had to put them in poly mailers and in, and in brown cardboard boxes, which was a huge waste for the first six months of the company. Then we had people call us out on it. And I was like, you're absolutely right. This is so dumb. Why are we doing this? And so now we just slap a label on, outside the purple box and it, it's so much better. Additionally, a uh, minor thing, major thing, minor thing, we had plastic in the packaging. For the first six months, we had a little plastic sheath around the sheets inside the knapsack to keep them safe from any water damage mm-hmm. uh, during transit. And we got a couple of complaints from people, really peaceful, nice messages saying, hey, I expect better from a sustainability company than to put plastic in the packaging, even if it's you know, recyclable. And we said, okay. And so we removed the, the plastic and we put in tissue wrap now um, for a final piece of protection so there's no markings on the sheets. And I'm thrilled to have eliminated that plastic. And now we've shipped out tens of thousands of orders since then with zero plastic packaging. In fact, we're the only bedding company in the world that does not vacuum seal our comforters and they ship in the box ready to go directly on the bed straight from the box. No plastic.
0: That's a good one. I haven't even thought about that. And yeah, I was wondering like, oh, have you had any issues so far? But if not, more people should be doing that.
1: Oh, we have issues. We just replace them. I mean, it's, it yeah. costs us money, you know, like we, FedEx will rip a box and then they'll get damaged and they'll leave it outside in the rain and it will get waterlogged. And like, so we mm-hmm. definitely have that, but, you know, I think it's worth it to eliminate the amount of plastic that we're
0: saving. Yep, I like it. What's up next on your Netflix queue?
1: Ooh, uh, I just started Ratchet last night. It looks it's too scary really for good. me. I'm a baby. It, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like stuff like that. That's a little trippy. Yeah. Um. And I'm also a huge Marvel nerd. So I'm still waiting for the next Marvel series, but that's a Disney Plus queue. Uh, so I cannot wait for WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And The Mandalorian is in two weeks as well. So I'm really excited for that.
0: Oh, well, you got your whole queue set up. I like it.
1: I'm a nerd. Yeah, I love that stuff.
0: Well, I know you said people aren't readers, but do you have anything <sighs> that's coming up on your reading list?
1: Uh, yes, I just started the Everything Store.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yep. And I'm surprised I haven't read it yet, actually. Um, and then I I'm trying to read things from a different cultural perspective because I'm a you know 30 year old white male who mostly hangs out with other 30 year old uh, white males. And mm-hmm. so I've got a book called Well Behaved Indian Women that I just started, and I'm really uh, enjoying it. It's like a totally different cultural perspective. I, like it's so foreign to me, and it's really really great to immerse myself in that. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else up next, but those are the two big ones.
0: have to try that out. What new e commerce tool are you trying out right now or having success with?
1: New, oh, uh, it's something called Gives. And I should should get a a referral fee for this. Um, But there, (laughs) so basically, it is a really cool thing we're doing to allow people after checkout to, when they buy something, donate a percentage of their order to the charity of their choosing. So we just tested it uh, this week for Prime Day because we had our Prime Day deal on Amazon. And we we had a lower percentage off on our website, but you could donate another percentage of your order as well. So it actually ended up being a lower price, but part of that was donated versus just going into your pocket. And uh, it's really cool. So so our, now our customer's moving forward, and we're, and we're trying to decide if we want to do this on only special occasions or on everyday type of thing. you know, We already plant a tree for every order. Um, now we're gonna be able to let our customers donate you know, 10% or so of their order to a cause of their choosing, which I think is a really, really, really cool thing. Um, I just don't know if the dollars and cents work. And so we're testing it out to see what that looks like.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a good implementation. All right, the last one. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: I mean, COVID, COVID. Uh, yeah. It's it no no doubt. Um, it's, it's blown up e-commerce on a you know five to six year type of acceleration. Um, mm-hmm. You know the, the amount of people that are shopping online versus in store has just grown dramatically. And I think that we're probably in this environment for another six to nine months until a vaccine rolls out. And so I think that this will trend will only continue. And I think that that's been a, a huge, huge driver of e-commerce. And I think it's it's both good and bad, obviously. the the It can be good for some industries and horrific for others. And so it's also a logistics issue. And everybody listening out there, when you order stuff online right now, it's not the brand's fault if it takes 14 <laughs> days to get to you. If FedEx is trying to hire 70,000 people by... Christmas and I they're not gonna hit that. They're gonna hit like fifty thousand, which is still a dramatic undertaking. Um, but the amount of packages going out right now is is just overwhelming the systems that we built.
0: Yep. Yeah, completely agree. All right, Colin, this has been a fun interview. Where can people find out more about Sheets and Giggles and yourself?
1: Uh I'm a pretty private person. I do have a public Twitter, Colin D. Macintosh, uh Sheets and Giggles. You can Google us, uh Sheetsgiggles.com is the website. No and and the URL just sheetsgiggles.com. And then we're also on Amazon. If you want to search for our sheets there, Sheets and Giggles, you up the Sheets. And yeah, I, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh and then our social media, Sheets Giggles, so just at SheetsGiggles everywhere on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. We're a good follow. We we promise we don't just post pictures of our products all the time and ask you to buy them. And uh, we just had 10,000 followers on Instagram, which I'm really excited about. We're, you know, we've never paid for a single follower. So it's fun to build this organic following over time.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Nice work there. All right, Colin. Thanks thanks so much for coming on. This has been a blast. And we'll have to have you on again in the future.
1: Thanks for having me. Hopefully when I come back on next time, we're a much bigger company and everybody's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that (laughs) brand."
0: They will after this. Don't you worry. (laughs) I hope so. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce.
2: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.